Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. Hey, welcome, Facebook. <laughs> we are going to just get uh, Instagram with us, too. Um, glad you could be a part today. Welcome to Grave Top Church. I'm your host, Homer Hargrove. Today we are uh, resuming our fresh series of easy mistakes. Last week we talked about Judas, and I think we were all surprised of how much we actually related to Judas. Um, and today we're going to be talking, uh, doing a person study on the person Didymus in Scripture, um, also known as Thomas. The most common uh, phrase connected to Thomas is doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas. He uh, well, we're going we're gonna to look at Scripture and see the instances that he's referenced in the Bible, um, but he's most known for, whenever he's talked about in church, of being Doubting Thomas. Anyone here been doubtful before? Hmm? You ever pulled out that, that uh, leftover food and you, you had your doubts in that moment where you think, is it still good or is it fine? Doubtful moment, you're just like Thomas. Um, before we get into really the content of today, I want us to uh, understand something about doubt. Uh, doubt is rooted in fear, and fear is the opposite of faith. But at the same time, fear and faith are the exact same thing. It's the belief of something happening without seeing it. The only difference is that faith is much more positive and fear is much more negative. But it's a belief of something happening or something being done without being able to see it. Doubt is rooted in fear. Let's look at uh, John chapter 11, uh, starting from verses 7 through 16. What we're going to do is read a lot of scriptures surrounding Thomas, and then we're going to unpack them and expound on the person of Thomas. So first it says, Then after this he said, uh, this he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he has the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. This he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may awaken him out of sleep. Just pause for a moment. As a competent person, and thinking about what the disciples are hearing, I feel like what Jesus said made no sense to what they were saying. <laughs> it, Jesus is, is constantly talking to the disciples in parables. He's, he's talking to them in ways that are not plain. And I think it's important to, uh, to note this, whenever we're talking about doubt within the disciples. They're saying, Jesus, we're going to go back there. All the disciples, uh, you were just about to be stoned. He's like, are there not 12 hours in a day? And they're like, yeah, but they're, <laughs> they're trying to kill you though. <laughs> and, and so it's important to understand that God, even when Jesus was walking this earth, he, did, uh, he didn't give the whole story up front. He only gave a little bit at a time, a little taste at a time. And, go, he, and he goes on to say about Lazarus, And then the disciples then said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, 
but they thought he was speaking of a literal sleep. So Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Therefore Thomas, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go so that we may die with him. Um, it's either super sarcastic or super loyal, right? <laughs> yeah, come on, let's, I guess we're going too, so we could die. Or like, come on guys, if Jesus is going to die, we're going to die too. And in this moment, we see this first instance where Thomas is responding. And it, uh, every time I've ever read this, I always see the sarcasm. <laughs> I might be wrong. You can interpret it either way. But we're seeing a moment where Jesus is also saying, Lazarus is dead and I'm glad for your sakes. I want us to keep that in mind as we go throughout the rest of his story. In John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6, it says, Jesus says to them, Do not let your heart be troubled. This is right before he's about to go to the cross. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I want to point out that, again, Jesus is, is not very plain in the way that he's talk, talking to them. It's so, there's so much prophetic uh, undertone that he's using. And Thomas is the only one like, what are you talking about? <laughs> what do you mean? We don't know where you're going. Why do you act like we know where you're going? And he's speaking what everyone else is holding in their heart. You ever been in class and, and, and think, man, like I'm the only one that has these questions or doesn't understand what's going on. And if you ever tell like the tutor or a parent, like, I don't get it. They say, well, you should ask the question because I bet you other people don't know what the teacher is saying. Thomas is that kid that's like, wait, what do you mean? And a, another thing I want to point out, this is a, a, a extra credit little point for this scripture. Jesus says that he is the way. He is the truth and he is the life. Out of all the different religions and faiths, Jesus is the only one that says, follow me. I had a conversation with a family relative the other day that was trying to project to me that all, all religions just point to the same direction. They all just say it different ways. Even Jesus said, uh, you know, follow my, follow my teachings. And I was like, well, actually, <laughs> he says, follow him. He's the only one that says follow him because he's pointing out his eternal, uh, his eternal personhood. He's an eternal being that always was and always is and even gives glimpse of his resurrection. Buddha said follow my teachings. Muhammad said follow my ways. But Jesus said follow him because everything is encompassed in the person of Jesus. Extra credit stuff. Now let's continue with Thomas. So... When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, this is after Jesus resurrected from the dead. And when the doors were shut where the disciples were, 
For fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. When he's showing them his hands and his side, he's showing the scars from the nails and from the spear. And so Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as, father, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. But Thomas, but Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails, and put my finger in the place of the nails, and put my hand into the side, I will not believe. After eight days, his disciples were in, again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst, and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger and see my hands, and reach here your hand and put it in my side, and do not be unbelieving but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord, my God. Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are those who did not see and yet believed. So this is the most pivotal verse surrounding Thomas and why he's gotten the name Doubtful Thomas. Because he said, I will not believe unless I put my fingers in the holes in his hands, my hand in his side. With all that being said, we're learning about how the opposite of faith is fear and doubt is rooted in fear. Unpacking Thomas and seeing how we are so much more like Thomas when we realize I feel what I love about this series is that the people that we're going through, when we read about their mistakes in scripture, we count them off as like morons. Like, oh, how could he not believe? How, how could how could he have done that? And if we look at people like that in scripture with such a disconnect, we can never really learn from them. But what we're doing is we're putting ourselves truly in their shoes and see how we really relate to them so that we can learn from their mistakes and be catapulted forward in our faith instead of having to repeat the same mistakes we've already seen. And so starting off, we're going to look at Thomas and how he's a realist. Any realists in the room? I'll raise my hand. I'm a realist. Um, some people who are extra positive say that being a realist is really being a pessimist right? Um, being a realist is where even when there's the possibility of opportunity or something positive happening, being a realist says, yeah, but in reality, yeah, but in, in fantasy world, that could happen. But in the real world, this is how it works. A realist is, uh, is someone that when, the doc, when Doc McStuffin says you can trust doctors, the realist is the one telling their kids, yeah, but doesn't mean that the doctor's always right, <laughs> okay? <laughs> Um, some of y'all are like, why would you say that? <laughs> Being a realist is simply wearing your doubts on your sleeve. Being a realist is simply wearing your doubts on your sleeve. The root of doubt is fear and everyone experiences doubt, especially in moments of extreme faith. 
Thomas was no different than the other disciples besides the fact that he spoke what others kept in their hearts. He spoke while the others kept what others kept in their hearts. It's funny that the, the people that actually speak up in Scripture, that out of all the 12 disciples, the only ones that ever say anything, it sounds just so dumb when they say it. All the, but you know what? No one even remembers the other disciples' names because they were just quiet the whole time. We don't even realize. We, it's like Peter, James, and John, and Judas. And, oh, Thomas, yeah, that's right. He's in there. Can you name the other disciples? No, because they kept their mouth shut the whole time. They were too scared of looking dumb in front of Jesus. But Thomas wore his doubts on his sleeves, and he spoke up in these moments. And while being logical and realistic is necessary in life, being logical and realistic is necessary in life. It, it gives a lot of fruitfulness to wisdom, being realistic. It can also be a stumbling block to trusting God and believing in the miraculous. I feel like the moment that we start entering into a realism is around the time we're graduating high school. You know, when you're younger, you, you often have bigger dreams than when you're older. You, you feel like everything is somewhat possible. I remember at one point I was like, I could be the president. <laughs> I could see myself being the president. I mean, they make it look easy. <laughs> if that guy could be president, then I could probably do it. And then you start getting older. It's like, well, I don't, I don't even think I could be city council. <laughs> <laughs> you, you start, your doubts start succumbing more and more because the older you get, the more that you learn about life, the more you start learning more about how reality is. And... And just those simple realities start to settle in. And it's so easy for them to crush your dreams. You, when, you're, when you're young, you might have thought, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to start my own business. I want to do this. I want to do that. And then you graduate high school and you're like, well, I'm going to just work at Bill Miller's for a while and see what happens. Like, <laughs> it, your dreams just start to, to start being stunted by the reality, Right? And being a realist can really save people from a lot of heartache. There's a, there's a, what is the statistic like over 90% of businesses started fail because it's so much harder than they expected. It, there's, there's a lot of realism that save, that can save people from, from huge disasters in their life. But at the same time, it can be a huge stumbling block to trusting God and believing in the miraculous. We have a, a value in our church, an aspirational value, that is we should strive to never assume a result without adding the power of God to it first. That's a value that I have to reach for all the time because I am a natural realist. Maybe it's from my dad. Maybe it's from uh, experience. I don't know. It's not really a, a blaming of how I became a realist, but I can be extremely pessimistic to where um, even when it comes to ministry and church and growth and uh, making a difference, realism can set in to where it stunts my ability to believe in faith. Anyone know what I'm talking about? And even when it comes to bring, uh, believing for salvation for others, after years of seeing someone you've been praying for not be saved or not give their lives to Christ, not have a change in their life, it's really easy to become 
a realist and it's like, well, they're just never going to change unless, you know, they change. Nothing, they're never going to change. And we stop, we stop adding the power of God to our prayers, to our future, to our faith. And we just allow our Christianity to simply just be a belief with no power. Because our doubts have caused us to stop believing in prayer, to stop believing in miraculous. Maybe when we first gave our life to Christ, we believed that people could be healed. But then after a couple years of not seeing people healed that you prayed to be healed, you stop believing in that power. You become a realist. Y'all dig what I'm saying? It just got real serious, right? Y'all are like, that's me. It can be easy to quickly dismiss stories that we hear of God moving. And it can be even dangerously prideful to assume that other people are simply gullible or that you know better. I'm the king of allowing myself to be lifted up in pride. I'm like, well, it's because they're naive. That didn't really happen. They're just crazy. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Even uh, it, when, you, when you've been a Christian for so long, you start to hear peculiar stories. I remember being early on in my faith and hearing people talking about how in a worship session at their church, that gold dust started falling from the ceiling. And I'm like, that's crazy. <laughs> Dang, that's crazy. I say that's crazy because it can be interpreted either way. As in, like, that's crazy, you're a lunatic, or like, oh, that's crazy, I can't believe that happened. So that's my standard fit for a response if, if uh, I'm skeptical. <laughs> that's crazy. And then when you start hearing of people um, having uh, these crazy healings, like, oh, they were in a wheelchair, and they, all the church prayed for them, and they just got up. Oh, they had cancer, and all of a sudden they, they prayed for them, and when they went back, the, the tumor was gone. And you start hearing these stories, and you either are like, oh my gosh, or, yeah, oh my gosh. And there's moments, and these moments is when we either are a realist, or we allow ourselves to step out in faith and believe. Don't get me wrong, there's a lot of pretty freaking crazy stuff that people say. A lot of weird stuff that people say when it comes to churches and faith and everything like that. But I believe that we should test every spirit to see if it is from God. And that we don't, that in doing that, as we test every spirit, we don't need to stifle the possibility of God's power actually moving somewhere where you're not. We have limited our perspective to only what's right in front of us. And if we don't see it, we don't believe it. Just like Thomas. Were the disciples lying to Thomas? Did it sound crazy? You won't believe it. Remember how Jesus like was totally super dead, right? Buried him in that tomb, wrapped him all up. It's like obvious. Everyone knew he was dead. Well, he is alive. He resurrected. God caused him to resurrect from the dead. And now... He's talking about the, his eternal kingdom. Okay, look, I know that we're all sad and stuff. Okay, Jesus is gone. But you're living in the past, man. We need to move on. Okay, let go. It would be so reasonable to believe like that. In the same way, we doubt every person that tells us a story because we're realists. And 
I want you to 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 use this kind of uh, method in the future. If you will allow yourself to believe the possibility of God's power moving, this is a simple way to soften our hearts in the moments where it's like that's crazy, in a moment to possibly be God moving somewhere where you're not. Ask yourself these questions. Perhaps you sh- should just pause and simply ask yourself. Is Christ being glorified in this story? Is Christ alone being glorified in this story? Are people being brought closer to God by it? Are people's faith being edified? If those are yeses, then I believe that those are are great opportunities for us to soften our heart and believe in faith. That first question is probably the most important question that will save you from a lot of weird mumbo-jumbo BS. Is Christ being glorified? When the story is a specific person being glorified, you can, you can, make, you can already start to tell that that story needs to either be rejected or is foolishness. Because if a person is being glorified instead of God, then that's not of God. God doesn't work like that. Jesus is always the one glorified. And I'll even take a step back to say, is an angelic being being glorified instead of Jesus himself? That's a very important question to ask because angels do, are not supposed to be given glory like that. And so all the times where you hear these stories of like, oh yes, I see an angel and it was magnificent. They start describing the way the angel looked and we just sat down and had tea together. That's, where is Jesus in that story? You feel what I'm saying? I heard this, this pastor talking about a story like that to where people were asking on her Instagram story, what is your, what is your guardian angel like? And they're like, his name is Benjamin. <laughs> He's, he has a really great sense of humor. I was like, that sounds like e-harmony. That doesn't sound like an <laughs> like archangel to where every time someone sees an angel in the Bible, they fell down like they were terrified and dead because they were so scared of seeing this amazing, magnificent being in front of them. Every single time someone saw an angel in Scripture, they froze because they were so frightened. When people be talking about seeing angels like it's like seeing a, a friendly neighbor, your neighborhood Spider-Man, you know, like, they're just like, oh, yeah, he's so funny. Every time they were terrified. It doesn't, make, it doesn't match up to Scripture. And who's being glorified? The person that was just so blessed because God favors them to see angels. And then this angel. They don't even share Jesus in their story. It's just about them and this angel. Now they have this divine relationship. See, look at who's being glorified. And you can, it will better help you to distinguish to where you're, you're not just gullible, but you're not so realistic to where you, you discard every opportunity of faith. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And I want to unpack these other questions too, because are people being brought closer to God by it and are people's faith being edified? I am really prone, like I've said, I'm really prone to being critical. Gravetop Church is a special kind of church, right? We're, we're very down to earth. I have an eyebrow preaching. I say hell in my preaching sometimes. You know, like, it's different. We're very biblical, spiritual, but you can tell it's not churchy, right? Even with all that being said, 
it is so easy in our generation to become so critical of other churches to where uh, Joel Osteen, anyone just cringe right now? <laughs> People when Joel Osteen is one of the most criticized pastors uh, in our state, right? <laughs> and he's always heavily criticized. Joyce Meyer, heavily criticized. These huge, these huge churches um, and their messages are, uh, are, can be looked at or perspective by, depending on who you talk to, as being watered down. He didn't even teach the gospel. It's just self-help stuff. Be that as it may, I want us to just take a step back. Instead of having our heart to attack and accuse and to stifle the possibility of God moving, let us simply ask, are people being brought to Jesus? Well, they're not genuine converts. Whoa. <laughs> do you know their heart? Have you, do you even know their name? Who are you to judge a genuine convert? Because the minute that we start doing that is the minute that we become like this story where Jesus said there's a tax collector and a Pharisee praying to God. The Pharisee said, thank you, God, that I am so smart, that I am so spiritual, that I'm so great. I have such a gr uh, amazing faith. I fast twice a week. I tithe. I do this. I do that. I'm not like this heathen over here that's not really saved. And the heathen over there is saying, God, just have mercy on me because I'm a heathen. <laughs> And Jesus said that that person was more justified than the Pharisee who was accusing him. In the same way, we should not have that kind of stifling eye to people that are, are potentially your brothers and sisters in Christ. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And, and again, don't get me wrong. I, I, don't, I don't personally like his sermons, I, but I don't have to listen to them. I can choose whatever I want to listen to. I also don't have to uh, badger or accuse or demonize any possibility of work of God's work going on. If someone is being saved, then great. God bless. Did you know that Paul, when he was in prison, talked about people who were preaching Christ only to spite him? They were literally doing it only to gain their own followers and to spite Paul's message of the gospel. And he says, but whether they do it for pure intentions or their own intentions, I praise God because as long as Jesus is being preached. So Paul is telling us that it doesn't even matter the motivation of one's heart, that as long as the gospel message is being preached, it is good. That that's how powerful it is. That it doesn't even matter of, uh, of who is sharing it, that one it is shared is able to stand alone. Y'all feel what I'm saying? I expound on all this because a lot of us are realists. We look at churches, we look at their messages, we look at what uh, these ooga booga moments that they talk about, and we're realists. And while we don't want to be naive, let us also not stifle the Holy Spirit possibly moving in powerful ways in people's lives. Y'all feel me? Wearing our doubts on our sleeve. The next part I want us to go into, this is going to be a lot more personal. That was more of like an outward expression, right? This is going to be more internal. I need a sign. Anyone ever asked God for a sign before? I remember when me and Lauren were, were talking and uh, we were, you know, liking each other. And, and we were at the point where we were talking about marriage. And she was on this thing like, I just need a sign from God. 
I was like, girl, <laughs> I am your son. You ask and you shall receive. <laughs> but she, she needed a sign. And then it got into, when it got so close, she was like, there'd be like multiple signs of like, oh, like there's your sign. She's like, I just need another sign. Like, like, <laughs> like hey, that's not even fair, okay? You get one, okay? <laughs> but that idea of I need a sign, the, it's a very churchy thing has been taught, depending on what kind of church you go to, to ask God for a sign. Because there's moments in Scripture where I believe it was like Gideon who said, God, if you're telling me to go up against the Philistines, then I'll lay this fleece out on the ground. And if you're really calling me to go, then you'll cause water to be on the fleece, but not on the grass around it. And then that, that would happen. And they said, God, if you're really telling me to go against the Philistines, then the next day I want the opposite to happen. Give me a second sign. And this time make all the, the fleece be dry and the grass around it be wet. And so we read stuff like that in Scripture to where people have received signs. We're like, well, God should give me a sign. I want us to understand something. Most of the times that people were asking for signs in Scripture, it was in life or death moments, not whether or not they should buy a car. <laughs> Gideon was about to go with only 300 men against the entire army regiment of the Philistines to liberate the people of Israel from their oppressors. It was kind of a big deal, okay? People were going to die. And so it was reasonable to want such a specific sign. Oftentimes, what we're asking signs for, they're important, yes. Like, they're important to our personal lives, and we want to know. But sometimes needing a sign from God often takes faith out of the equation. Sometimes needing a sign from God takes faith out of the equation. I want us to focus on this aspect of faith. Faith is believing without seeing. A sign is something clearly seen. It even illuminates in the dark. When we consistently ask God to show us a sign or to speak to us an answer, it is much easier to respond to God's calling without needing any faith. Yet God calls us to believe by faith. He calls us to believe by faith. And we often use the idea of asking for a sign as a way to sidestep acting in faith. While it is reasonable to want a sign, there are plenty of times where it is simply not necessary. And faith is interchangeable with trust. And I think the moments that we are so stuck on needing a sign is actually showing how doubtful our hearts really are. Just like Thomas. Unless I can touch it myself, unless I can see him and even not even just see him, but double check to make sure it's him by putting my hand in the wound in his side. I mean, that's like disrespectful, right? <laughs> that's, that's like beyond it, and it shows that so often we want signs like that. And so often God even gives us a sign, but we're not satisfied. How many times have you asked for a second sign? A third sign? Okay, God, I know that you did that, but just I need to be sure. Just one more sign, just to make sure. Yeah, yeah y'all know what I'm talking about. I want, to, I want to share this scripture with you. In Hebrews eleven six, 6, 
It says, And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to Him must believe that God exists and that He rewards those who sincerely ask Him, that sincerely seek Him. Do y'all see how our entire faith is built on faith? Think about the, the foundation faith that we have is believing that Jesus resurrected from the dead. If you call yourself a Christian, it's because the strongest faith you have is that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. Do you know anybody else has risen from the dead? Have you seen Jesus come out of the tomb? Has he come down as a, as a personal being to give you a, a, a tour of his, his entity of heaven? And yet you, you choose to believe him. And I want us to, to understand that that's the foundation of our faith is that Jesus resurrected from the dead. And it, it goes beyond the Bible. If the Bible did not exist, Christianity would still exist because it was a moment of history that happened. It was an event. And it, wasn't, it was an event that was not done in secret. There's, there's hundreds of historical secular excerpts that talk about Jesus' resurrection. It would still, Christianity and our possibility of faith would still exist even if we didn't have the Bible at all. Think about the thousands of Christians that were formed in the early church without having the New Testament. Because it was an event that happened, a historical moment. Those kids sound crazy, right? It's part of our new discipline method. <laughs> Trying it out. <laughs> but, and so to understand where our faith is founded on, if we can believe that Jesus resurrected from the dead, is it really far-fetched to believe for an answered prayer? Or that God is guiding you, that the God of the universe is just simply guiding you to go to this direction instead of that direction? You believe he, Jesus rose from the dead, but it's hard for you to believe that he's telling you to go pray for that person. You know how many times people say, like, God, if you really want me to pray for them, give me a sign. <laughs> Y'all see how silly that sounds? And there's also moments where we don't need a sign for something that God has already told us to do. For example, God calls us to take care of the widows and the orphans. I remember when, uh, when we were uh, poised with an opportunity to take care of uh, teenagers in our home, it, wasn't, it didn't really require much prayer because God had already told us to do it, take care of the widows and the orphans. So we open our home. But you know what every, every other person at church would say? I need to pray about it. I need a sign. God hasn't told me yet, so we're just not gonna. <clears throat> See, we stifle faith in our lives so often with the guise of needing a sign. And then we wonder, well, how come I don't ever see stuff like that? Perhaps it's because we would still need a sign even if it was right in front of our faces. Was this really from you, God, or was the AC just turned on? Was this really from you, God, or was their leg just like out of alignment or something? Were they really blind? I'm, 
Can they really see now, or are they just faking blindness? You know, I've seen people be healed of blindness, and and still everyone around is like, yeah, but like, <laughs> really though? I've seen kids that had asthma that would need an inhaler just for uh, just like normal, uh, a normal casual purpose. All of a sudden, get prayer, feel all lit up, and run around the whole like sanctuary multiple times without an inhaler. Part of me was like, "Should we have an inhaler on standby just in case?" <laughs> like, did they sign something before coming here? <laughs> but what I'm getting at is that there's there's these answered prayers and miracles that happen, and we ask for signs for just little stuff. Perhaps we should step out in faith the way that we're supposed to and just do it stop hesitating and do it and so often we wonder god how come you don't use me for anything you would need a sign before you would do it you would need three signs four signs y'all feel what i'm saying i want to also share this before moving on to our last point in matthew 12 Verses 30 through 32, Jesus says, He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven people, but blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not, it shall not be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. This is known as the, the unforgivable sin. And to be honest, after spending like uh, 10 years in, in church and hearing messages and stuff, I've always heard this described as like, well, like kind of like in vague terms. Well, it means like the sin, like uh, if you never ask for forgiveness or if you, if you don't forgive, that's what it's talking about. The unforgivable sin. If you don't forgive, then you can't be forgiven. And it's like, but yeah, but that's not what it's saying. <laughs> This, this verse has perplexed me for years and wondering, what is he talking about? This is actually right after the Pharisees called him the prince of demons. They, started, they would mock the works and miracles that he was doing. And then he says this. So Jesus just performed a bunch of miracles, casted out demons, had healings, crazy stuff happening, and the Pharisees mocked him and, and, and stifled the, the, the potential of it being the power of God and said, it's not real. He, he's just making it all up. And what I realize is that this unforgivable sin that he's talking about, he's talking about when the Holy Spirit is working right in front of you, but the, your heart is so hard that you still choose not to believe. You, you choose to even mock it or speak against it. The Pharisees were seeing demons cast out right in front of them. People being healed right in front of them. You ever like say, like, God, give me a sign. That was like a clear sign. God was moving. And yet they still chose not to believe. Their hearts were so hard. And what I'm getting at is that when things are right in front of us, Jesus is saying, what more could I possibly do? There's no more I could do for you that's right in front of you, plain as day, yet you still choose not to believe. That is what he's saying is unforgivable. To the point where you've already gone beyond faith. It would be like a moment if Thomas, Jesus standing right in front of him, puts his hand in his side, his fingers through his, 
his hand, the scars in his hand and still chooses not to believe. It's in those kinds of moments to where it's no longer about logic. It's no longer about uh, questions, needing answers. It's simply about the hardness of one's heart and choosing to not want to believe for whatever reason. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And I, I share this as something to consider that often God has already given signs, shown miracles, answered prayers, and more, yet we are not satisfied. This verse above is talking about the moments where we see God move, yet we mock it instead. We should be more careful of how we speak of things we know little about. And I'm raising my hand. I'm quick to be like that too. But I believe that God is calling us to throw off our doubts and lean on faith instead of our fears. Y'all feel me? And so we're going to go into our last point, which is even still. And in all this last part, I just want us to unpack God's grace. God is still faithful even when we are faithless. God is still faithful even when we are faithless. Even with all of his doubt, Jesus still came back to show Thomas his signs. When we read Thomas's excerpt, he sounds hurt. He sounds mad and upset. And it's just like, almost like disrespectful of how he pushes away his friends as they're all telling him what happened and saying, no, I'm not going to believe that. He sounds angry. Even with all of his rage, Jesus just comes back to show him anyway. Did Jesus have to come back? Did Jesus, was he required to go back and show Thomas? Did he have an obligation to? Talking about the Son of God. He's already, he performed miracles for three years in front of Thomas. He told him he was going to die. He told him he was going to be crucified and that he would come back. Was he obligated to come, come and show him his signs that Thomas demanded? No. Yet, Jesus still came back to show him. You know, I think about this scenario, and it's funny that Thomas just, just wasn't there. It's like that one morning you're about to go to church, like, oh, I'm too tired, he didn't go. <laughs> now, one day he missed church that Sunday. <laughs> but perhaps Jesus showing up while Thomas was not there was actually an opportunity for Thomas to receive that special blessing that he was talking about, to be able to believe without seeing. While, while we initially look at it as a missed opportunity to see Jesus in the flesh, it is actually a, a good opportunity for him to have an eternal blessing for believing even though he didn't get to see. How much better would have been a, a moment that would that would only become a memory or something that was built up for an eternity. It was an opportunity for Thomas to be one out of all of them to be able to believe in Jesus without needing to see him. That's a, a special blessing. And maybe it's the same for us in the moments that we don't get those answered prayers, that we don't get those answered signs, where we feel like he doesn't show up that we have the opportunity to store up something greater in heaven by believing anyway, instead of allowing our doubts to make us downcast and angry at God. Well, I'm not going to believe unless he does this. If he doesn't do this, then I'm done with my faith. 
Maybe there are opportunities for our faith to be something greater than this temporary world. And either way, Jesus saw Thomas's heart, his hard, sad, bitter heart, as more important than his little faith. Even when we feel full of doubt and our faith is crushed, Jesus will show up again because of his faithfulness. This is the most meaningful thing about this story, about Thomas, that we can learn. The moments that we are just like Thomas, angry, upset, wanting God to move when he didn't move, showing us himself. Jesus cared more about his heart and just being able to see it than he did about um, just, well, he needs to have more faith. He's going to have to just learn, just deal with this. He's going to just have to learn something. And it makes me think about all the moments where we have been in to where our faith has been crushed and we're upset and angry. And it's like something happened. Someone called us. Someone spoke to us. Something happened like an ooga booga moment to where your, your faith was slightly restored and you just knew God was telling you something, even though he didn't have to. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And it's in those moments where God is saying, I, that was an opportunity, but I care about your heart instead. I would still rather reach you. Look at this last verse, 2 Timothy 2, 11 through 13. It says, this statement is trustworthy. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we also will reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. And if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Even still, no matter what happens, no matter how much doubt we have, whatever we go through, even when we curse God and our hearts are out loud, He is still faithful. He is still good. And His love for you will still be a reality. Just like the, the resurrection is a moment of history that can't be changed, that, it would, uh, that our faith would still exist with or without the Bible, in the same way His love for you will still exist even with or without your faith. Even with or without your doubt, it would still be there. And so with that being said, I want us to bow our heads and close our eyes. And if you're here and you just know that God is just ministering to you in this message, God is just telling you something. And I, if that's you, I want you to just start talking to God right where you're at in your chair. It's to yourself. And if you're here listening to this and you're having a moment to where you're thinking, I need to come back to Jesus. My faith has been crushed, but I know that he's still calling me. Or maybe you're listening to this and thinking, Man, I, I've never had a moment where I just believed or had a decision moment where I put my trust in God, my trust in Jesus alone. I've allowed myself to think of all these other realities or beliefs, but I know that Jesus is calling me to this truth. If either one of those are you, with every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to just lift up your hand. See your hands. 
So right where you're at, I want you to just tell God exactly what you're feeling and what you're thinking. And I want you to have a decision moment where you say, God, from this moment forward, I'm yours. In your own words, you don't need to me to repeat words for you. To talk to God, all you have to do is mean what you say and say what you mean. If I speak it for you, it wouldn't be as authentic as if you were speaking it for yourself. The Bible says in the book of Romans that if you believe in your heart and confess that Jesus is who he said he is, that he's the son of God who died on the cross and rose from the dead, surely you shall be saved. And that salvation is in this world and the world to come. Just talk to God. That scripture is just simply saying, acknowledge him, talk to him, and be authentic about it. And now if you're here, and you're just realizing that God is calling you to throw off your doubts. To subtract some of your realism. And give opportunity for the power of God to move in your life and other people's lives. I want you to just talk to God yourself. And let your tone just be, God, soften my heart. Soften my heart and strengthen my faith. Soften my heart and strengthen my faith. Soften my heart and strengthen my faith. I want to be more inclined to believe you moving rather than doubtful of you moving. God, I thank you for what you're doing in every person's life. And I know that you are doing greater things than what we can see even right now in this moment. And I pray that you would show yourself strong in people's lives and that you'd give an increased faith to people today that you'd bring us all closer to you, and that you'd cause each person to understand your presence and to feel your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. With that being said, we're going to have a time of worship right now. And as we do, we're going to sign off online. Thank you all for being a part. We love you. Have a good rest of your day. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.